everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I couldn't even do the intro right. I'm all out of sorts today. I'm a Philly well, you know, fan right now, Jeff. You are? Yes. Why? Look at what's going on, man. How can I help you? Do I need to set up like the booth, like, you know, how Lucy had in, in Peanuts? Like, do I need to set up a five cent booth for you to talk? The, the Phillies are nine and nine. With I the think bullpen. you were confused by that. I can, and once again, I think you're too young to understand that reference. I'm not understanding anything you're saying. <laughs> I, I am. And I'm not that young, but I'm just really? everything. Maybe I'm just not aware of different things around me. But Do you know who Quick Drop McGraw is? Yes, I do, but not. Speeding, I mean, I could go through all these cartoon characters if you'd like. Chilly Willie? That's really not what anybody wants to hear on the radio. All right, fine. Maybe all the- right. Then fine. Go back to moping about sports. So come on, let's mope. Let's six- mope together. I'd like to. I'd like to start with the Sixers. Okay. Okay. What am I seeing right now? Who's on the well, court? Well, which Sixers would you like to talk about? The ones that are on the court or the ones that are not on the court? And then would you like to talk about the opposing team and which players are on the court and which ones are not on the court? Because I've yet to watch a game, I think this calendar year, where the two teams that are playing actually have all of their players. And while some people I'm sure are injured, I'm sure a lot of this is load management. You're very bothered by this. You've been texting me. It was one of the first things that you said when we got on. No, I'm all positive. It's you that's bothered by it. Are you surprised? (laughs) Like, I'm not surprised by load management anymore, so I don't really get bothered by it. But maybe it's because I'm watching on TV and I'm not spending my money to go to those games. If I went to a game and I didn't get to see the superstars on the team play, I'd feel cheated. Put it on TV, I can flip the channel. You know, I'd like to see the stars play so that my team can win wait hold on you're telling me that when when the sixers play the bucks you're not upset that you know that half of the sixers aren't playing or some of the bucks aren't playing and you're not getting the full matchup that you want to see i'm disappointed as a fan watching on tv i think it more to heart because you go to more games so you're at those games where those players aren't playing in front of you I'm tacitly watching on TV. Yes, I'm watching it and I care and I'm interested, but you're investing dollars on it and you're not getting the product that you're looking for. Well, yeah, and the big the bigger frustration, well, yes, if you're there, you want to see the you want to see the stars, right? Okay, but if I'm watching on TV, my frustration and it's not I notice that it's not really with the players. It's with the league and the and the union and the players because of the way the season was set up. They they were so gung-ho about making sure that they got in as many games as they got that remember they spaced games out a couple years ago to avoid the load management problems and now we have situations like last night was the perfect example of it this game mattered this game should have been highlighted by the league and instead because of the scheduling of this game they didn't get what everybody wanted to see they didn't get ben simmons playing they didn't get certain people playing because somehow they set it up that the Bucks got, what, three days off after a home game? And the Sixers had to hit the road and play less than 24 hours later after traveling. How does that make sense? I mean, they have advanced programs to make sure these things don't happen. How did it happen? It's not even in the NBA's best interest to do that because they don't put the best product on the court. Look, despite that, the Sixers are 39 and 20, but they're losing straight they're in a first place tie with the nets right now there's 13 games left uh 
They're tied with Brooklyn. They have the tiebreaker. They're two and a half games up on Milwaukee after the loss last night. But the Bucs have the tiebreaker now if that comes back. And even if the Sixers win tomorrow in Milwaukee, which is weird that they played there last night, and then they'll play there again at 3.30 on Saturday, they're not having tiebreakers. So their only way to get the home court that they pretty much need is, and, and they want to avoid Milwaukee in the first round, you, or in the second round. You want that number one seed so that the Nets and the Bucks have to beat each other up in the second round and you can play somebody else and then make it to the semis and pay and play them. Like yeah, but the problem is we can't get everybody to play at the same time. And we can't even complain about it because the Nets can't get anybody on the court at the same time. The Bucks seem to at least be able to get most of their players on the court at the same time. Well, let's, so the Bucks kind of have the advantage here, don't they? Let's talk about what we saw this week with players on the court, players off the court. Ben Simmons has been out pretty much all week. He's 50-50 for Saturday. We hear illness. We don't what know. does that mean? I don't know. And we don't know if he's in Milwaukee with the team or not, or mm-hmm. if he's back home here waiting. Um, we've had players out with other injuries that have come back. Tobias was out for a few games. Burkon missed the game last night. Set- so, so, so I had a question for you about that. Because we talk about Furkan in lots of dis- different oh, ways. Furkan. When, when Furkan twisted his ankle, yes. did you get really nervous about the season? About the season? No, but he's become... Really? A- I did. And no, I never thought I'd say that. I, I actually think that uh, George Hill's ability to fit in will become a bigger story as we go down the stretch. I think that he's going to be the key piece off the bench, frankly. Uh, and, and it's been... Wait, nope. wait. So, so if you had, if you had an eight team, if you had an eight player rotation, you know, who your starting five are, who, who are in the next three, who are the first three off of the bench? Probably shake Furkin and George Hill. Wait, who, who's your backup center coming in then? You have to, so you're going to have to have a rotation of nine then. I mean, a lot of times they go with eight. You're going to have to have a rotation of nine because right. you're going to have to have somebody to come in at center. And that's an area where Dwight Howard will come in, but he's got to not get technicals. He, I don't understand, man. Dude's been in the league a really long time, and he doesn't seem to understand that like showing up a ref will get you a technical. Well, how many? How those shocks when he gets it? It's like really. Okay, so we talked. We started the show talking about kind of talking about cartoons. So I'm going to ask you a cartoon question. If there was a cartoon bubble above Doc Rivers' head every time he did something like that. Would we be able to read it or would it just be like, you know, hashtag exclamation point? The curse words for, things that, <laughs> I mean, look, this team makes basic mistakes sometimes. They're very puzzling. At times they're really good and at times just really not. Well, to me, the most amazing thing about the team is they have this great defense, but for some reason on fast breaks, they get beat at like a very high percentage. How does that happen? And look, Doc said it last night. We were soft defensively that first quarter. They got everything they wanted. I admire the honesty of calling out the team. I don't want to hear that you're soft and not ready to play against Milwaukee, even if it's on a back-to-back. I get it. But you're telling me how important home court is. Joel wants to be MVP. Ben wants to be defensive player of the year. I hear it all the time. Y'all got to show it out there. And, And look, Joel... Put up 24 points. He was 9 to 21. Tobias had 18 points in his return. Shake looked better off the bench. He had 20 points. But look, if if Mike Scott is one of your leading scorers with 11 points. No, I think I hurt my neck shaking it. No, (laughs) that is not a formula for success. 
<laughs> in any situation, Jeff. No, no. Mike Scott cannot be in a single play. If, if Mike Scott plays in significant minutes in any playoff game, they better be up by 50. Because any other time, th- that will not go well. Does it seem like Embiid is calling Simmons out more lately without saying his name? Like How? that? He's, he's like, you know, I can't miss this game. I got beer for my team. And, and Simmons just isn't there. And- no, I, no, I think you're reading too much into it. I think that this, this is Embiid, whether he's turned a corner or whether this is part of an act, whatever it is, he, to me, this year has shown to be different than he has been in the past. And I think that is a direct result of two things. One, his own maturity. And two, having a coach who is calling him on his stuff. And so I think he, Doc Rivers is challenging him to be the best player he can be. And he's rising to that occasion. When he waved off the coach yesterday to come out of the game, that's showing leadership. Now, I'm not saying it's the smartest thing to do, because if you watch Joel for half that game, he kept putting his hand on his shoulder. And as bad as, as much as I'm worried about the knee, I don't know why he kept holding his shoulder. So I don't want to get to the playoffs and have the, uh-oh, Joe LMB just fell down again. Is he going to get up? You alluded to it at the start. Are any of these teams going to actually be together before the playoffs or even in the playoffs? James Harden seemed to have a setback for the Nets this week. He won't be back, but Kevin Durant's set to come back. All right, well, well let's start with James Harden. James Harden started this year for people that forget with Houston dogging it, right? Oh, um, so you think he's dogging it right now? I don't think he's dogging it in a, in a way that he's trying to hurt his team. I think he thinks he's helping his team. I think that the, I think that this is okay. Look, we we're veterans enough. We we we're practicing together. We're together as a team. Let's well, just wait to the playoffs and then we'll play. Okay. Yeah, that's what I think's going on. What other teams out of the East concern you right now? I don't know. People keep bringing up the Miami Heat, but I just don't say it. I really don't. Not this season. Jimmy Butler doesn't seem happy about the Miami Heat right now. Well, Jimmy Butler never seems happy. So, I mean, and and I think that's just part of him being a leader. You know, Jimmy Butler likes to push his teammates, and he's very good at that. Well, why don't we leave the basketball talk there? Let's get into some football, Jeff. We've got on the line with us president of the NFL Alumni Association, uh, Three-time Super Bowl champion, lots of honors I could read off. Bart Oates, thanks for a few minutes today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm here. Thank you. Great to be Uh, on. Thank you so much for the time. I I wanted to ask you, we're a Philadelphia radio station. People may not know your professional career actually started here in Philadelphia. Tell us about life playing with the stars here in Philadelphia. It's awesome. I would have had the league survive. That's where I would have spent my entire career. I was, I loved it. We just, Hey, we had a great team. We uh, very successful. Um, and that stems from uh, Miles Tannenbaum, the owner, and Carl Peterson, the general manager, and Jim Moore, the head coach. And so, heck, there's still guys in the uh, coaching in the league who were assistant coaches uh, with that Stars team. And um, so it was, that was a lot of very fond memories. Just how good were you guys? I saw you say that you thought that the 85 Stars of the USFL could have beaten the 85 Eagles. Really? Well, listen, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was young and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and we were a good team. So I, and I knew that was never going to happen. So I could say whatever I wanted. Yeah. You, you had confidence for sure. Well, not yeah. only, not I mean, only was that, aged, a good team. that aged mellowed me a little bit. 
That, that team was so good. I believe you won two USFL championships before you won your three Super Bowls in the NFL. Uh, how, yeah. What made you make the decision? You know, we have the NFL draft and it's coming up shortly. And it's kind of, you know, for, for college football players, it's a big deal, the NFL draft. You were in this mm -hmm. era where a lot of players made a dis business decision to, to try this new league instead. How is, as, as a, a young adult, do you make the decision or how did you make the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to take the risk and I'm yeah. going to go over there instead question. of the NFL? Yeah. That's a great question. And, and it was, it was, for me, it was a business decision. I was, I came out of Brigham Young University and while we had some, you know, our quarterbacks tended to, to, to do pretty well, um, the, there were no linemen that had gone on and played in the NFL. And I wasn't a highly – I was coming out the same year. There was some Dave Remington and some other really highly um, recruited and, and noted uh, offensive linemen. So, um, you know, my, my, I was like – if I was going to get drafted, it was going to be a very high round, you know, somewhere seventh or eighth rounder. And, you know, then I get stuck behind somebody. And this way I, I knew that I could uh, – for me, I was going to go to a team. I knew it was a running team. I was already told that. And in spite of that, they, you know, in spite of me only coming from a passing team, they said, you know, you're going to be the guy. And, and then uh, Miles Tannenbaum, um, and we negotiated that with my agent that it was, uh, he negotiated a fully guaranteed three-year contract, you know, in a time where, you know, if I'd gone to the NFL, I'd get maybe a small signing bonus and, and very unlikely to, you know, I wasn't expecting to really play very long. And so, I was I was kind of a nerdy guy. I would I had an account. I was finishing up accounting degree, and I knew I was going to go to law school. So I knew that with the contract I was getting with the Stars, and even if it only played one year, because it's personally guaranteed by the owner, I was going to be able to pay for my law school. So that was my that was my business decision. And and you end up getting to the Giants, which you don't think will last long. You have 125 consecutive games start played during your Giants career. Was it like to play with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick as your coaches? Well, I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to deal with Bill uh, Belichick because he was a defensive coordinator. Uh, Parcells is a pain in the butt. He was just a, um, you know, he was very demanding, and um, you know, he just he held people accountable. It wasn't easy. He called people out, and if you had a, if you were thin skinned, you were going to be in uh, you were not going to be a happy camper with uh, Bill Parcells. Is back in an era when you know the coaches could, they they controlled you know they they ran the asylum the, as opposed to the inmates and uh, you know today which is and rightfully so I mean I, to me as a player I think it's smart they they control through the CBA how they practice how hard they you know how long you practice how much you get to hit you know so these guys coming out today are in a much better physical shape than you know back in the the eighties, nineties, and prior to that. You know, you talk about earning the money to put yourself to law school. Jeff's the lawyer here on the show, but I was impressed. You attended law school in the off season of playing football at Seton Hall. How'd you manage that? Yep. I, well, I, I got accepted. So, uh, I had to apply to law school and got accepted. And, um, back in the day when it really wasn't that much money, quite frankly. So it was, uh, and, and, Listen, in football, we unlike the other sports, hockey, baseball, and basketball, I mean, our season's only four months long. It's a short season. 
five months if you include the preseason. So literally from the time you start work to the time your season's over with, it's five months. And so I got seven months. And so even playing, even if you make the playoffs, you still can get in to and get a semester in. I would usually get a semester plus a partial semester during the uh, half a semester during the summer months because uh, we didn't go to camp until the end of July. And then I would take a class, usually a class, maybe, uh, you know, writing class or one a night class during the season. And I have to go maybe once a week. And so it was um, that way I was able to get through it. It took me about five years uh, during the off season. But, you know, compared to the guys that, you know, that, uh, go to night school, for instance, there was a huge night school segment. And, you know, those are the people that just holding full-time jobs year-round, going to school year-round for four years, um, you know, that was – what I was doing was easy compared to what they were doing. You know, we've had uh, one of your former teammates, Harry Carson, on the show to talk to, about some of the work that the NFL Alumni Association has done and is doing. You're president of that association. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show was not only to talk about, in general, the fact that uh, players like you do so much with the platform that you have and continue to do it after you leave but also specifically what you're doing for bids for the bids for kids event that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the work yeah, that you were doing with the NFL for, Alumni Association? Awesome. And thanks for asking. Yeah. I, we, we are an organization with 39 chapters around the country. We, we are uh, we created by former players or run by the former players. Um, we invite anybody that wants to be, you know, we have memberships for anybody that wants to support our missions of, caring for our own and caring for kids in our community. And um, again, the, the bids for kids is kind of our first virtual um, fundraiser and um, it, it's available. Uh, it's, it's actually this coming Wednesday, the, the night before uh, the draft, uh, this coming Wednesday starting at eight o'clock Eastern time. And we are going to have tons of items. Uh, we got people like Kurt Warner and Santonio Holmes, Bubba Paris. Uh, I'll be there. And um, it's kind of easy because you just you just tune in virtually and uh, have access. We've got you know Super Bowl tickets that people can uh, can get. We've got uh, over 150 silent auction items. We've got live auction items of trips and experiences and sports memorabilia. Uh, and we were just excited. I mean, this thing is going to excited to be able to do this. And um, you know, in, in this world with the pandemic and um, you know where people are used to doing virtual things, and so. Um, you know, and, uh, there's door prizes um, for anybody that, that attends or or makes a bid or a pledge. Um, as a matter of fact, anybody that registers gets a, uh, a free vacation voucher. And so you can just go on our website and uh, which is NFLalumni.org and just uh, go to the bids for kids and you know register and sign up and, and attend. I think it's going to be going to be fun and you know spend as much time or as little time as you as you as anybody wants. But it helps you know, us achieve you, that mission of, of caring for caring for kids, where we can take take those monies and uh, we can help uh, the local causes and and uh, other causes that are we really you know that's where our players are so involved and many of them are philanthropic and and make a real difference in their community and so we we use this and leverage the alumni and and that uh, experiences that we have and notoriety we've gained playing in the NFL. To, uh, to make our communities better. So many of the players that we talk to have, have a coach or somebody in their life that was the motivation or, or, or may, the light bulb went off to them saying, you know, I can use this platforms for something beyond just 
being a football player. For Hugh, who right. was that person or what was that moment where the light bulb went out for you? That's a good question. I, you know, I think it was a combination of my, my father uh, and my older brother. Um, my dad, just because of the example he set and the person he was. Uh, my older brother played uh, seven years in the NFL, and so I, I saw it from a you know perspective. Of, and he was played for four different teams and got moved around. And, you know, so I, I saw it as a as a very uh, insecure business, but I also saw it as a way that you know saw that how he was able to parlay it. He he you know I wasn't original. He was the kind of the first guy. He went on and became an attorney. So uh, and while he was playing, he did the same thing going to school during the off season. So I just basically copied him. Uh, but it was the idea that, you know, I and mean, you see so many guys that, you know, you know that, that have that, you know, that passion to make a change and say, you know, we can, we can do, you know, whether the social changes, uh, whether they're um, in, in whatever that, that interest, whatever those guys, and there's so many that do, that uh, set up, either they have their own foundation, they support very, um, you know, philanthropic causes. I, my wife is uh, president of of a foundation and then is, you know, so I've been involved for 30 years um, and give, give the children hope. And so it's a, it's a research foundation to, to help cure uh, children with neurological issues. And so that's, um, you know, that's something that we've been very involved with, but there's literally there's hundreds of causes out there that guys support. And we'll make sure to put the NFL alumni information out on our social media accounts so people can learn Appreciate more about it. that. Um, I wanted to get back to the football for one sec with the draft coming up. You're, you're a guy who protected some of the great quarterbacks in the league, Steve Young, Phil Simms, to name a few. As an offensive lineman, how do you know when you have that guy that can take you to a title as everybody now searches for their quarterback in this draft? You don't. You don't. I mean, you, listen, I think pretty much you, you take most guys and you surround them with the right team, the right people. And that's why, you know, individually one guy can't do it and, and, you know, take, take Tom Brady. He had great support, um, you know, and that, listen, there weren't great defenses, but he had, you know, overall, but he had enough people and he had good coaches and, and systems. And then he was smart enough to say, I, I know that Tampa Bay has got a lot of really good people and, um, and went out there and, you know, and played well, but you don't, you put a, a inferior supporting cast around even a Tom Brady, he's not going to win Super Bowls. So yeah, if you put the right system together, I mean, with Phil, Phil was a different sort. He was he had this offensive lineman mentality, tough as nails. I you know, uh, I know the guys, you know, fans in Philly don't really um, th- those that remember him and just remember him as a tough, tough guy. He was a competitor, and um, you know, regardless of how many times Reggie White knocked him down, he was going to get up. All right, well, Bart, I do have a question for you about whether or not you noticed the talent at a young age. Uh, the ball boy during your days in San Francisco, I believe, was Kyle Shanahan. Did you know back then that he was going to turn out to be this genius young coach? <laughs> no, not a clue. No, not a clue. He was a, he was actually a ball boy. My son was a, he was a runner for the team. He would he was a guy that was responsible for running the uh, uh, pictures that they would take at the time. They didn't they weren't taking them on the field. They'd take them upstairs, and somebody had to run them down to the uh, team in between. But um, so he has more memories of him than I do. Well, Bart, we can't thank you enough for the time and for what you do with the NFL Alumni Association. Like we said, we'll continue to share the information and try and share what you guys are doing. You're making a difference. 
So thanks so much for the time, and uh, you have a great day. No, I appreciate it, guys. Listen, we've, we've got, uh, you know, Philadelphia is probably one of our best chapters, uh, run by Lee Woodall, former teammate with the 49ers, but uh, had grown up, you know, grown up in the Philadelphia area and gone to, went to college there. And so, we, you know, that's what we do. These guys that come back and say, we want, I want to make a difference, and, and this organization can make a difference. And, you know, it's, it's, once, you, once you play in the league, it's, it's always there. And, and you never, you know, it's, and it becomes something about about who you are, and it defines you. And so it's just a way for guys to be able to say, hey, here's here's a way to really give back, not only to the guys, your your teammates and your brothers, but also to your community and to and to these very they're very deserving causes. Well, thanks so much so, for the time, and uh, we'll definitely have you guys back on to, to keep talking about what you're doing. You take care of yourself. Awesome, you guys are awesome. Appreciate it. Jeff, they continue to do good work. And I mean, we talked about the athletes using their platforms. These are the athletes after their playing days that choose to take that platform and keep using it to impact people and make a difference. You got to, you got to take your hat off to them. Look, I mean, we got involved years ago with the NFL Alumni Association when we had uh, Dan Esposito on to talk about uh, sleeping outside for the Covenant House. And uh, I still do that um, with them. Uh, did it this year. And it, it's, it is a, it's a great organization. They're doing great work. And we shouldn't forget that there that these guys do a lot of this stuff behind the scenes. They're not just athletes. That that, that they're doing more with their with the platforms they have. I wanted to get to some baseball before we hit the break, and then obviously Brandon short at four forty. Got plenty of football talk, some soccer talk. Hopefully, to you must be you must be so excited that you get to sit there and be on the air hours before Vince Velasquez goes out to the mound to start in the potentially worst place for him to start which is, is a mile high <laughs> i'm not as excited as your son who will be out there in person for that game which may turn into souvenir night depending on how vince pitches yeah you know it, it you know there's there's always these cute father-son moments and, and one was as he's out there at the university of colorado texting him saying hey are you still going to see the phillies in in, in denver on friday and he goes yeah and i, I wrote oh no <laughs> why oh no well you get to see vince velasquez <laughs> so the prediction is 10 to 8 phillies tonight so you'll laugh actually the the game that vince velasquez struggled was actually the first game that my son brandon actually like sat down and watched the game with me a little bit so now he keeps asking when they're going to go to the bullpen <laughs> when he's watching oh you mean the second he comes in no just in general oh pitchers because Velasquez came in and then they needed to go to the bullpen again and he didn't understand <laughs> what happened but so, again, and again he also doesn't think it's very nice to steal because you shouldn't do that daddy so well, that's just because you're good to a four-year-old that they sh that stealing second base is okay I'm learning yeah say so you're 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 a good dad teaching him not to steal and and now you're going to have to undo that because here's what's going to happen at some yeah. point he's going to play baseball probably yeah. yes. hopefully he has more skill yeah. than you um, <laughs> anything, but, <laughs> but there's going to come a point where a coach is going to say at first base, go, and he's just going to stand there, gonna go. And he's just going to stand there. And then what's going to happen. He's going to come in the dugout at some point and the coach is going to go, he told you to steal. I'm not allowed to steal. Stealing <laughs> is bad. Look, we're and then you're going to have to undo all the good stuff you thought you were doing as a parent. Right. I'm going to have to re-explain mm -hmm. that. So he did say he's rooting for the red team when watching the Phillies. So there is that. They stand at nine and nine, second place in the East, lose two or three to the fighting Gabe Kaplers against the Giants at home, which I'm sure Philadelphia fans loved. 
Jeff, the bullpen is leaking oil, 5.49 ERA on the homestand. So here, here, here. Doing with Connor Brogdon the other day, who gave up two three-run home runs. Brandon Kinsler wanted to get in on the game on Wednesday, gave up another three-run home run. Overall, their bullpen's been improved from last year, but they still have a 4.74 ERA on the season. So how many people started cursing at their televisions at the end of that game when Bryce Harper swiped home plate with his with his little mitten and Gabe Kapler told everybody to hold because he was looking to protest the call because he thought that dug out. How many people were throwing things at their TV and and praying that Gabe Kapler wasn't right this time? (laughs) Look, let's see what happens this weekend, but they're kind of following the pattern that they had last year in 2020. They were 19 and 13 at home, only nine and 19 on the road. So far they're eight and four at home, one and five on the road. I know you tell me it's early, Jeff. Uh, there are signs of concern though, between injuries, the lack of anything resembling production in center field. Uh, look, Mickey Moniak hits his first home run, but he's hitting 0.067 since he was called up. The before his hit, the center fielders were four for 54 with no extra base hits. This you mean the home run, yes, before okay. his home run, yeah, four of 54 with no extra base hits. That's just, I think, I think that was the first RBI by a center fielder this year. That's just the problem in center field, though. Then you've yeah. got Andrew McCutcheon hitting 164 over and left, and you got Gene Segura now out injured, and you've had other guys on the COVID list. What is going on with this team, Jeff? And they're still nine and nine. And they're only what a game and a half out of first place. So I'm I'm not I'm not going to panic yet. The bullpen still has problems. That to me the big two problems are not hitting. The big two problems is who are the four and five pitchers going to be, and what's this bullpen going to do? Because the bullpen start to me is starting to show a lot of its true colors. And I think that what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to see whether you got any of these young guys in the minors because I don't think any of these veterans are guys that you're going to be able to count on just because they're older doesn't mean they're better you any at all concerned about some of the decisions joe girardi's made lately no no what, what there is there the one thing i am not going to worry about is the manager okay. i am very comfortable with what joe girardi does and and that is not even comparing him to kapler because if you're going to compare him to kapler then then he's he's the greatest manager of all time. But I I just think he is a he's a steadying force. I think behind the scenes he says what he has to say. He's just not going to come out and rip the players if that's what you're looking for. No, it's it's more been some of the in-game decisions that he's made at times. They they forgot how many mound visits they had left with Zach Wheeler in the mm-hmm. ninth game, April 10th. They Swap positions didn't make sense. Then he left Brogdon in this week to give up two, three run home runs, which I didn't even understand why Brogdon was in there and he took the starter out in the first place. I think I had texted you when they did it. Like, why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, and look, the, obviously he's trying to press the right buttons and they've got injuries. They've, they've got, you know, stuff going on, but. The, yeah, but, but there, you know, the, the way you're talking, the sky, I'm looking to see if the sky is about to fall on your head. I mean, there's still 500 and I, there have been things. Bryce Harper has played great. Segura before he got hurt was playing well. I think DD was playing well. Alec Bohm has played well. I wish I could see more power out of him, 
but he seems to get clutch hits and he doesn't seem phased. You got JT back. So you should be happy. You should complain about nothing because all I heard from you all the end of last season and all off season was get me JT back. And I had to sit there and listen to the Sixto Sanchez talk, which by the way, he hasn't been in the major leagues this year. Look, I, I definitely don't think it's time to panic, but I also think that there is some cause for concern with some of the things. There is no solution to center field. You talked about, you know, the, what's down there in the minors. There just aren't solutions to some of these situations right now. And here's, here's the lineup. The lineup just got released, and it's going to be McCutcheon starting. So it's going right. to be McCutcheon, Hoskins, Harper, Realmuto, Gregorius, Bohm, Brad Miller. Mickey Moniak is eighth and Vance Velasquez is ninth. On that note, I'm going to hit the break. When we come back, we'll keep talking some more sports. Like a horror story. (laughs) Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825. Repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, the biggest story this week in Philadelphia was rock, paper, scissors, right? Ready? That is that- do you know how to do it? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> is that, is that decide what we're going to pick to talk about on the show now? It doesn't have like a PlayStation remote that you have to move your thumbs fast. It's just an old school game. Did did people overreact to the fact that Nick Sirianni and the coaches are apparently playing uh, rock paper scissors and Jeff? No, it, it's it's a it's a funny story, be, but it's part of a larger narrative that he's whether it's true or not. What Nick Sirianni has started out his career here before he even gets out to coach uh, practice is kind of this goofy guy, which, you know, you may get away with it in some sports. In football, nobody wants to see a goofy head coach. You just don't see that. You certainly don't see goofy, you know, successful head coaches. When's when's the last guy who could crack a joke who won a Super Bowl? (laughs) There just aren't. They're serious guys. Like Belichick or Andy. I mean, Andy can... Yeah crack a joke every once in a while about cheeseburger he cracked jokes yeah but he doesn't even smile when he does it and he's not sitting there playing rock paper scissors and he's not doing what what Sirianni did when he first got here during his opening press conference it's just I don't know I, I don't think people should overreact to it but I at the same time I think people should be worried that he needs to start looking like a leader and and that's a thing he's you know when you're a young head coach people are already worried right because they're worried about whether or not you have the experience. So if you're a young head coach, you also have to have this, you have to find a way to have gravitas and, and he doesn't have it right now. And he needs to find a way to get it. And somebody look, you're, you're a PR guy. Is this how you would, you would draw up? This is how you want him to be introduced. No. Okay. I mean, uh, from the rollout at the start, no, Uh, you would have thought that they would have prepared him a little bit better. All you got to do is give somebody a couple lines. A couple lines you can get through anything. And All right. They- well, why don't why don't we go to why don't you introduce somebody who who seems to have the PR end of it down? Uh, he's got a little bit of everything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we're going to be joined by a guy right now whose journey's taken him from McKeesport, Pennsylvania to Happy Valley, to New York, to Carolina, to Dubai, and now London. Talk about a wild ride. Former NFL linebacker Brandon Short. How you doing today, man? Doing well, doing well. And thank you for that kind of introduction, man. If I had you as my agent, I still might be playing. Who is that guy you're talking about? <laughs> it is rather impressive as you start to get through it. Uh, you're a man of many talents. You played, played, okay, were you better at basketball or football when you were in high school? That's my first question. Because you were a star in both. Yeah, yeah. I was a pretty good basketball player as well. I still think I was a little bit better at football. I was player of the year in of the state uh, of Pennsylvania. But we were the top team. Um, in basketball and in football, we didn't win it in basketball. Like our our starting point guard got hurt um, after we won the Pittsburgh State the Pittsburgh Championship, so it's it's disappointing. It, it's hurtful to even speak about. You know, you were a guy that was raised by your your grandmother, and I I've heard you say you were a Pitt fan. Uh, Jeff is a graduate of Pitt. He's also a Michigan alum. You should be aware of that. So yeah, so this could yeah. be a painful conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, don't, don't, don't hold Jeff that against wild. Jeff. He was probably born that way, like me. If you if you yeah. if you hold that against him, that'd be discrimination. I, mean, I was born that way too, but I evolved over time and saw the light and came over to to, to Penn State. <laughs> How does a Pitt fan end up uh, at Penn State with the career that you had playing with a guy like Lavar Arrington on that defense with linebackers? How does that happen? Well, um. When, when I started looking at schools, you know, like I was a, a top recruit and my grandmother really stressed, you know, academics and, and stressed, you know, community service. And she heard about Joe Paterno and she heard that, you know, he really, you know, stressed those things as well. And she said, this Joe character reminds me a lot of me and, and demanded that I, that I take a look at Penn State. Um, I can still remember going up to my, my first game at Penn State, and I was with my grandmother um, on a visit, and we they were playing USC, and they were up by 35 in the first quarter. And we arrived in the, in, in the Happy Valley, and, you know, the, the, the fans said, we are Penn State, and they said it three times, and at the end they said, thank you, and you're welcome, and the Penn State had my community, the Penn State community had my grandmother at thank you. So she was like, <laughs> you know what, they say thank you, and you're welcome in the stands, you got to go here. But Jeff, if you guys would have added thank you in with your Michigan chance, you too could have had Brandon Short playing for you because his grandmother would have bought in. Oh, you know, the paint the, 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 we are Penn State. <laughs> but, but Brandon, you, you did go on to be, become a New York Giants. And, and we have the NFL draft that is days away. What was it like for you? What was the experience like for you getting ready for the draft? What, what it was like to be drafted, the whole experience. What was it like for you, and what should these guys expect as this week goes on? Man, the, 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 the experience was tremendous. I actually worked out um, in New Orleans with a trainer named Tom Shaw, and my roommate was none other than Tom Brady. And he was the captain at Michigan. I was the captain uh, at, the, at your school, at some other school. But he was the captain <laughs> at Michigan. I was the captain at Penn State. And we prepared for the draft to, the, together. Um, he he went on to have a pretty good career. Um, I think <laughs> but, but he did all right for himself. But but the, the 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 experience was tremendous. I actually dropped in the draft. So I was rated the top middle linebacker, and then for some because I have long arms 
and they view me as sort of like an end hybrid that I would play outside linebacker, you know, I dropped to the fourth round. And and I, because they, I had these high expectations, you know, I was actually, when the day happened, I was disappointed. But then when it sunk in, the matter I had achieved my dream of making it to the NFL. And you know, so no matter, no matter where you get picked up, you know, it's not it's not where you get drafted. Is what you do when you get there. And Brady is a is a, 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 a basically a study in that. You know, he got picked up in the sixth round as well. Went on to become the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. So it's not which it's not where you get picked up. It's getting that opportunity, getting in there, and, and, and showing people what you what you got. If Tom Brady was your roommate, then did you see it? Did you see what everybody missed in picking in the first six rounds? I'd be lying to you if I said I did. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it in his character. I saw it in the type of guy that he was. That that I would have ran through a wall with him and for him, and I still would to that till this day. But but he's he wasn't fast. He he it didn't seem like he had the strongest arm, but he had it. If there was there was like an it factor in the way he carried himself. That you know I would have ran a, through a wall with him and. Uh, and for him, and, and he was like a, a part of the enemy state of Michigan. <laughs> you, well, you 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 had a pretty good quarterback yourself when you were with the Giants. Did you see it in him when you got there? Um, are you are you referring to Eli, or are you referring to Kerry? Because I had two pretty good quarterbacks when I was at the Giants. So well, I was going to I was going to give you either one because to me both of them had it. Yeah, yeah. I will. You know, Kerry Collins played for 17 years in the NFL and was undefeated at Penn State. And I knew Kerry. You know, he was a part of the group that recruited me. You know, met him, met him on my visit. And Eli, I actually played against Eli when I was with the Carolina Panthers. And it was in his first year. We scouted him, and we saw that he, he at the time when he got drafted, he had a way to go in his development. And you know, he, he like. He, uh, a, a true Manning, you know, developed into the leader, into the all-pro, and now into the Hall of Fame quarterback that he is. And they, and, and they both had it. They both had that, that factor that where you wanted them to have the ball in the fourth quarter. You trusted them. They demanded, you know, respect when um, when we were in a tough situation. And, and that's the it factor. You you want You want to follow them when things are tough. Jeff and I were joking before you came on that the Eagles coaches uh, came a story to hear this week played rock, paper, scissor with draft prospects. Any uh, good stories or questions you've got going through the draft process? You mean, I, I'm not sure I understand good stories or questions like going any, through the draft process. Any, any experiences going through the draft process, meeting with teams that oh. stood out? Well, oh, there's, there, there was a ton. So my, my, my junior year, you know, I was actually projected to go higher in the draft than what I did. I was projected as a second or um, a third-round pick. And uh, Bill Polian, you know, uh, said that, look, if you're still there, you're, you're, we're projecting as a third round. So if you're still there on the third round next year, there's no doubt we'll take you. And the, the, the same thing, Bill Cowher, you know, I, was, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and I was a Steelers fan. And Bill Cowher, you know, said they said something similar that you know we want if you're still around in that second round, even when I was uh, like my senior year, is that we're we're going to pick you. 
And you know how, like, it's like when uh, uh, your girlfriend scorns you, there's a thin line between love and hate. And all my my family, they bleed black and blue, I mean, uh, black and yellow. They're really huge Steelers fans. They actually root against my team when we play the Steelers. And it's just like I I turned against my my team when they didn't take me, and now I, I am a true blue giant till the end. Where where'd the Pittsburgh accent go? <laughs> I don't know, man. But look, but, but my grandmother, or, or I guess my wife tells me that I pick up a southern accent when I'm trying to put on the charm. So maybe I'm trying to put on the charm. Uh, I'm here in London. <laughs> so kind of charm us here on the radio, Jeff. I, oh, well, so you're you're you say you're in London, but you're also on the board of trustees at Penn State. How, how did yeah, you do yeah. that, and how much do you enjoy being able to give back to your university? Well, I mean, the, the Penn State has done a lot for me, and I view being on the board as an opportunity to give back to the university that has done so much um, for me. And I, I joined Penn State's board uh, in 2018 as an alumni elected trustee, and I can say that being on Penn State's board is the most rewarding thing that I do other than being a father and, and, and being a husband. And the, the, the unique thing about the board is there, there's 750,000 eligible voters, but only 15,000 people vote. And that's in the past because there, there's, not, there's not really much that differentiates the candidates, but this year there's a real choice. Now, there are people on the ballot that want to defund and de-emphasize athletics. And Penn State has a proud tradition of leveraging athletics to enhance the entire university. You know, increased applications with increases, you know, academic standards, uh, increasing alumni giving and boosting the local economy. And the athletic budget is completely independent of the broader university. And so our investments, the way we're currently structured, has no effect on tuition or employee salary. So there's no trade-off for making those investments with other priorities like research or um, you know, student life. Uh, so it, it is of the utmost importance that, you know, people get out and, 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 and vote. I did want to ask you, um, one of the things that you're the chairman of the Board on Oversight Task Force on Racism, Bias, and Community Safety. And I've seen you talk publicly after George Floyd. Uh, you said the time for silence has stopped. That time is over. You talked a lot of a lot of coaches about the conversations they've had with players surrounding race. Can you talk about how you utilize your own platform now to talk about the encounters you've had and and how we can try and make progress to move forward on some of these challenges? Yeah, I mean, and that's a, a great question, and that's something that you know I've done my best um, to do is to have those conversations, you know, lead those conversations amongst the university and at a board level. And what people have to realize is that when you're talking about issues of race, you have to understand that people come from different backgrounds and that somebody who grew up in the city in Philadelphia is going to have a completely different perspective than somebody that grew up in a farm, you know, in, in York. And just because, you know, someone may, you may disagree, you have to avoid like labeling people, you have to avoid you know, trying to get put stigmas on each other and listen to each other and, and, and try to understand each other's perspective. When you're at a university, you're, you're talking about issues of diversity. It's not, you know, necessarily about 
issues of, of having more black or brown faces. It's about diversity of ideas, diversity of thought, that, that in an institution of higher learning, you can only learn from people that are different than you, that have different experiences, which adds to the overall environment and which makes you a better student and adds to the educational experience. You know, one of the things that we, we see in sports is sports seems to be ahead of society in this area. Uh, what did you learn from being in a locker room and being on teams? Well, I mean, what, what, uh, what, it, what it teaches you is that the great thing about sports is a, it's a meritocracy. And it doesn't matter your race or religion or background. It's, it's a matter of what you do. And they, people want to put the best folks out on the field. So that, you, that, so that we can win. And no matter what your race, religion, that sexual orientation, any of that, everybody is looking in this one direction, you know, 11 people, one direction with one goal and objective and, and working together. That you can be the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. And if he didn't play with a team that had a great offensive line or a, a decent offensive line that can block for him, if he didn't have receivers that can catch, then he would. Either, no one would ever know that he was the best quarterback of all time. And it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what re- religion you are. I have some of my best friends, you know, are, are are white or are Jewish or are Muslim because I like I didn't I didn't have many. I had grew up in an environment of, mostly only around people that were black. But because I played sports my brothers, my family, people that I love, that I will take a bullet for, that I know they will take one for me, and it doesn't matter what race they are. And that's the great thing about sports. That's what it teaches you. That's why we have to foster it, the youth sports, um, the, in the university level, and, and, and that's why we should be listening to our athletes because our, they, they understand that. They see it. They're ahead of the curve. And you know, sometimes people get frustrated because you hear athletes voicing their opinions, but they're but it's making people uncomfortable because they're. You, you know, you you talk about um, the the family aspect at Penn State. I wanted to ask you about your relationship before we let you go with uh, Micah Parsons, somebody who will likely be drafted next week, uh, somebody who you've you know had a lot with in terms of your own linebacker, you there at Penn State. Can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Micah is first and foremost a, a, a great young man and a fine student athlete. And, you know, Micah reminds me a lot of myself. You know, I, you know, came from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, which has the rated the fourth most dangerous city in the U.S., so a tough neighborhood, and had a kid before I came to Penn State. And Micah came from – it has a very similar background – and I've watched him evolve into the man that he is today. And Penn State has had that similar, that same type of effect on me. And secondly, like when I think about the, the man's play, and I've said this before, but it's just they're just a number. He is faster than Saquon Barkley, and he's arriving to the ball with bad intentions, and he's going to separate you. And any team that passes on him will regret it because he's going to be, you know, a, 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 an all, a starter for 10 years and certainly an all-pro. But, but also in this draft, when Penn State has a lot, they have, they have Jason Alway, who's a freak, you know, who runs sub 4 through, who's faster than Micah. Pat Fryerman, Shaka Tony, who's one of our top rushers, you know, in, in the, the history of Penn State and Lamont Wade. So uh, Lamont was a leader. 
He was the, one of the top cornerbacks and the, the top cornerback in the country coming out. And his change of direction, I'm sure that a lot of coaches are going to be impressed with the way that, that, that you know, what, what he can do. Well, we'll look forward to seeing where the Penn State guys go in the draft. Wish you the best of luck with everything with the Board of Trustees. And thank you for giving us a couple minutes to talk here on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And it's so important that everyone get out and vote. There are people out there that want to defund athletics. And athletics play such an important role in benefiting the local economy, over seven, over $170 million in economic activity, um, increasing you know, our academic standards, um, helping us with raising, raising money for the entire university. It, get out and vote. Go to trustees at psu.edu and register and vote for Brandon Short, Steve Wagman, and Alvin DeLevy. That's Brandon Short, Steve Wagman, and Alvin DeLevy. Thank you for having me on the show. Best of luck with everything. Jeff, you're not going to be able to vote in that election as a Michigan man, but we'll, we'll survive. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's Brandon's somebody who, you know, those are those stories. You talk about the platforms they use and bettering themselves. The man put himself back and now his has his post career and doing good things. It's fun to well, talk. And, yeah. and, and it's proof that we can all get along. I mean, look, you can have, this, this isn't the first time I've, I've had to talk to a Penn state alum and every one of them is great. You know, I mean, they're, they're all good guys. What I thought about doing, but I, but I couldn't bring myself to do it was since he was a giant is to get him to say, go big blue. And then we would cut out the big, and in, in the replay shows, and he, would, he would be saying go blue because, because as, as many of, of my friends know, uh, the, the we are Penn State is just painful. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't like that very much. Jeff, we got like three minutes left. I'm not going to dare go to hockey because I don't want to depress you. I am Why? Gonna... They finally won. They did. Against the Rangers. But it's done. It, they give up the ghost. Wow, Jeff. look at you. It's give up the ghost. They tried giving up the ghost, but nobody would have them. Came back and he's one of the better players now. Uh, let's talk a little soccer real fast. You can get a draw in their first game. They have their home opener tomorrow night. Yeah. For about 48 hours, there was a Super League in soccer that existed. Was it that long? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it, they, they literally had people, fans were storming the, the, the teams. I mean, it, what did they think they were going to accomplish? Uh, their, their greed was, was, you know, they say that greed blinds people. These these are smart, otherwise smart business people who were incredibly stupid. It took me years to figure out how European soccer worked with regard to the hierarchies and how teams can move up and you know, like minor league teams could become major league teams, kind of thing. And 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 I now understand the beauty of it and how communities build themselves around it. And then all of a sudden, these twelve teams said, "You know what? We're just going to blow the whole thing up." And we're going to keep all the money to ourselves. And it didn't go over well. No, it was, it was, it was a trade. Like people lost their jobs over this. Yeah, it, it was not good. Several hundred Arsenal fans protested outside Emirates Stadium before the team's English Premier League calling for Stan Kroenke to leave the club over its bid to go to the Super League. <laughs> I wonder whether uh, the other clubs in the league try and get them for breach of contract, Jeff. Well, look, I'm not, I'm not if, you, if you're looking for a legal opinion on EU law as it relates to soccer, I think I'll bow out of that one. I think that's where I'll say I don't really have the expertise to talk right now on that, man. <laughs> We've got just over 30 seconds left. What in Philly sports are you looking to see this weekend? This weekend, I'm looking to see the Union's first home game. 
I mean, to me, that's the big one is to see how the soccer fan you are. You were texting me about soccer while the Sixers were on the other night and I called you out on it too. Well, look, I mean, it was the, it was the two best teams from last year. It was an exciting game and yes, it was zero zero. And a couple of years ago, I would have rolled my eyes, but it was exciting. Soccer fan, Jeff Cohen. That's the last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.